You know, um, watching the video where you saw all the the men who died in in uniform, I'll I'll tell you, it just makes me uh, feel fortunate at a number of levels. Uh, Last night I had dinner with an old friend. Uh, uh, He and I used to live in California together, and one of the things that he, he commented on was the fact that as, uh, as we were driving around last night, we saw the American flag all over the place. And he, he commented, you know, you don't see this in California. And that was just one of the things that makes me glad that I'm in Texas. But, but, but I'll tell you, we... We're all fortunate because we live in, I think, the, the, the greatest country there is. But, you know, um, one of the other things I, I couldn't help but think about was, was the fact that, you know, these men died in the service of their country. Now, I spent 12 years active duty as an Air Force officer. I tested aircraft and spacecraft, and, you know, I can remember flying many a mission where we were flying low level at night in all kind of weather, you know, sometimes 50 feet off the deck. And, you know, when I look back at it, I was thinking about it this morning, you know, I I can only remember one guy who ever got hurt. And, you know, he's got very serious back problems, but he's still okay. And, you know... um, yeah, I, I sacrificed some, but, you know, these men gave it all. And, you know, we need to be thankful for them. But, you know, they suffered, and there's a lot of suffering today. You look at what happened in Boston. You look at what happened in West. You look at what, what happened in Oklahoma this past week. There's just a lot of suffering going on. And you know, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you wonder, hey, why are things the way that they are? Why do such outrageous things happen? Well, one thing I've got to tell you is if you are a Christian, well, there, there's a perspective you should have on things. But, you know, I I remember when I was a young Air Force officer uh, doing a lot of crazy stuff to get myself killed. I remember thinking, you know, one of these days, you know, I'll grow old and wise in the Lord and and that that I will will arrive. I'll be one of those, uh, you know, uh, Christian Jedi master. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? One of those guys for whom, you know, everything's in control. I've got it all together. I know which verse to say. I know, I know how to handle all the vicissitudes of life. And, you know, when you watch those Star Wars movies, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's always in control. He always knows what to do. He's always calm. Okay. How many Christian Jedi masters are there out there? Raise your hand. What? There, 
Nobody's raising their hand. But you know what? No one ever does. Because you know what? As a Christian, you never really arrive. These storms come into our lives and sometimes we're just overwhelmed by them. You know, uh, when you look at this Christian life, how do we grow more Christ-like? Well, you know, there's a few things uh, I think most people think of. Number one, you, know, you read the Bible. You, know, you don't just read it, you study it, really. And number two, you do what it says. But here's the third thing. You suffer. And you handle that suffering the right way. See, if you're going to grow in Christ, that means you're going to be more like Christ at the end, right? Well, what did Christ do? He suffered unjustly. And if you are going to grow to be more like him, you have to suffer. And you have to have the right attitude of trust and obedience. Last year, um, I was going along merrily in life, like, you know, you have those periods. And I had this relationship that just went south. I mean, I mean, in the most catastrophic kind of way. Now, I'll tell you, I was devastated by it. Absolutely devastated. I cried a river of tears all of last year. But one, one of the things that, when it, when it first happened, you know, I didn't know what else to do, but I trusted that God was working things out for the best, and I somehow was able to praise him. Two weeks later, I'm appearing before the House Oversight Committee in the U.S. Congress. The following week, I'm on uh, national television. I'm on uh, MSNBC. Well, you know, I don't watch MSNBC, but hey, I'm on national television anyways. And... Uh, and the Lord has just opened door after door after door after door for me. Now, all this just caused me to, you know, hey, what, what exactly is going on here? And here's one of the things I discovered. There's a few things involved in our, our spiritual growth. And one of them is suffering. Another is spiritual warfare. Another is trust in God and in his goodness. And that's followed by contentment. So what we're going to do, I hope you brought your Bibles. By the way, how many of you brought your Bibles? Raise, raise them up. Okay, good. Let's take a look at a few scriptures. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. 
Now let's go to verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You want to be glorified with Christ? Then you got to suffer now. Not a popular message, but a true one nonetheless. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to chapter 1. Let's go to verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. You know what? These people received the word of God, they received it in tribulation and affliction, and they were still able to glorify God. So God was able to use their witness in a way that they could have never imagined. Let's turn to just a few chapters over, chapter 3. Start with verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as, encourage you as to faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, we were with you, and we kept telling you in advance that we're going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, and as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You know what, folks? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are destined for suffering. Why? To help conform you to the image of Christ. Let's turn to Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've not resist, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which, I, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, folks, what, what we think a lot of times is, you know, there's trouble down the road, and God's going to put us on a detour around it. But oftentimes, the best thing that happens is we have to go through the fire. We have to be refined. And you know what? He goes through the fire with us. And when we come through, we're refined as gold. Now, you know, one of the other things we talked about was there's spiritual warfare involved. Let's take a look at a, a few more verses. Let's go to Job. Because in so many ways, Job is a model. Let's go to Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of, of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where did he come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Oh, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You know, 
God does that with you if you belong to him. Have you considered my servant Ken? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. But he says, Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now, On the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them, and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, Another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. And the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, you know, Job was busy doing the things that he's doing. He's sacrificing for his kids and everything. And then he gets a bad report about the Sabines attacking and taking his his animals. But then what comes in rapid-fire succession is a number of other things that, that, that are really pretty overwhelming because fire falls from heaven and consumes all the sheep. Well, you know what? That's not the kind of thing a man can do. That's clearly a sign of God doing something. And then four winds come and and kill his children. Well, these are clearly supernatural acts. And you know, it's bad enough to lose your stuff, but to lose your kids, all of them, at once? And how does he respond? I'll tell you what happens with a lot of people. Some of them curse God. Some of them rail against God. But what does Job do? He worships. He says here, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Sometimes the outrageous thing happens, and we're tempted to do stupid stuff. But the nature of the believer is, 
He remembers God's goodness. Sometimes these disasters happen to us and and we can't see that God has something better for us, different for us, or that God is trying to fix something in us. We can't see that it's for our eternal good. But if you do, God can do things with that. Let's take a look at another example. Let's go to First Chronicles. Chapter 21. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me the word that I may know their number. And Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Why does the Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause for the guilt to, to, to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David, and all of Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's command was abort to Joab. God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant for I've done very foolishly. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one for yourself, for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three months of famine or three months Three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemy overtakes you or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. David messed up. Satan attacks, and David David messes up. The interesting thing is, when you look at the parallel scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 24, There's no mention of Satan. There's just God moving him to do this. But what we see here in this particular scripture is Satan has motivated him to do this. And despite the fact that he's in a mess and he knows he's going to have to receive judgment from God, the thing that David knows is this. He can trust in God's goodness.
Let's take a look at Luke. Let's go to chapter 22. And let's go to verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What we see here is that Satan is going to attack Simon Peter. But you know what? The Lord is praying for him. Just as, as you are going through your difficulty, you know what? The Lord is praying for you. And he's, he's, despite the fact that you may stumble, he is still praying for you that you will return and that after you go through it, that you'll be able to help your brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at one more. Let's go this time to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 12. Let's go to verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now look, once again, Satan attacks. And he prays three times, Lord, take this thing away from me. But does he? He does not. See, Paul has some things in him that need to be fixed. In each of these cases, here's what we see. Satan attacks because God allows him to. You know why God allows him to? Because you and I have all kinds of issues. You and I have all kinds of problems, defects that, that need to be fixed. I, I, I like what one old gentleman said in the last, after I, I got done in the first service. He said, it's like 
where God's an engineer testing a new vehicle. We're on the test track. And he puts us through all these really hard tests to cause things to break down, to fail, so that he can fix them. You know what? Uh, I'm an engineer. I, I tested aircraft and spacecraft. Yeah, I, I really like that analogy. So, you know, one of the things that he does with all these, these tests and all these trials, he's getting us to trust him. See, because when you go through the fire, there's two responses, okay? You can either glorify God, and if you do, he will bless you and use you in ways that you can never imagine. But you know, there's another response too. You could fail the test. We'll talk about that more in a moment. How do you know if you're passing the test? You're passing the test if you can remember as you're going through it that the Lord is with you and that he's doing this for your good. And that may not occur to you first off, but you know, here's the thing, folks. If we belong to him, that's one of the things that's going to occur to us. I like a lot of contemporary music, but I really love the old hymns. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's another one. Trusting as the moments fly. Trusting as the days go by. Trusting him, whatever befall. Trusting Jesus, that is all. That's what the testing is for, folks. So that you will grow to trust him more. And if you do trust him, you're going to grow more Christ-like. If you can keep your gratitude, if you can keep your humility, you're passing the test. And he's going to do great things with you. That doesn't mean the pain's going to go away. But just as he suffered and kept the right attitude, when we do, we glorify him. Let's take a look at another section of Scripture. Let's go to James chapter 2. Chapter 1, I'm sorry. Verse 2. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect, perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man, that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when, he is a te- when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, but he himself does not tempt anyone. You know, folks, God is faithful. We sang song after song talking about the goodness of God. And you know what? You cannot go with God and stay where you are. So here's the thing, folks. If you are tested and you fail the test, you don't persevere. You don't trust him. You, you know what happens? You have to go through the test again. You have to go through it again. Oh, maybe not the exact same test, but one like it. And if you don't grow from it, if you don't learn from it, well, your growth is stunted. Now, let me tell you something. That might be an indication that perhaps you're not a Christian. Let's get real here. Because if you are a Christian, you can expect suffering and testing. That's guaranteed in this life. If, on the other hand, you go through a period of testing, of suffering, a lot of people just walk away and never come back. And that's an indication that they never were a Christian. But there's a lot of people who never pretended to be a Christian, and things just go well for them. But if you're a Christian, you get your suffering in this life. But if you don't have Christ, your suffering comes in the next life. And that suffering is with compound interest. Because you know, this life, it's fleeting. I, I, 
and, and the sufferings and the trials that we have in this life, they're temporal. But for those who are without Christ, their suffering in the next life is eternal. I'm reminded of a song by Kansas off their leftover cheer album. Um, song is The Wall. The words go, I'm woven in a fantasy. I can't believe the things I see. The path that I have chosen now has led me to a wall. And with each passing day, I feel a little more like something dear was lost. It rises now before me, a dark and silent barrier between all that I am and all that I was ever meant to be. Just a travesty. To pass beyond is what I seek. I fear that I may be too weak. For those are few who've seen it through to glimpse the other side. The promised land is waiting like a maiden that is soon to be a bride. The moment is a masterpiece. The weight of indecisions in the air. Standing there. Simple in the sum of all that's me. Just a travesty. The last part goes like this. Gold and diamonds cast a spell. It's not for me, I know it well. The riches that I seek are waiting on the other side. Well, are they? Because if you are waiting for what's on the other side, you're willing to suffer today. But if you don't have Christ, you can have all the riches of this world. And you know what? The best that this life gets really ain't that good. But if you have him, you have peace in this life and you get everything in eternity. If you do not know Jesus Christ today, All you have in store is an endless eternity in hell. So if you know him and you're going through tough times, draw closer to him. But if you don't know him, seek him today. Mm-hmm.